Today, we're continuing a series called Alive in His Presence. And today, I really wanted to zone in and focus on a God of love and how critical it is for us to have the proper perspective of God's love. Because the way we see God determines how we receive from God. And so let's pray, and then we'll dive into what the Lord put on my heart for this week. Father, I'm just, again, so grateful. feels as if we can just go home right now from your presence in worship to just a reminder of your love for us through the skit, to our friends and what you put on their hearts to share. Father, we thank you that your presence is here, that you want to speak to every single heart, whether they're watching on the screen right now or here in the sanctuary. God, you have a word for us today. You want to bless us today. You want to heal us today. And we thank you that you're a good God. And now with the words that I have to share, I pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be with me and help me to deliver exactly as you would want. We thank you and we praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, several years ago, when I was uh, probably a sophomore in high school, I got to go with my youth group to a youth camp up in the San Bernardino Mountains. It was snowing. We probably had about 10 inches of fresh snow while we were there. So an uh, old San Diego boy, to be able to be around snow was quite a treat. But there's something so amazing about camps. When you get away somewhere remote, where there's no cell phone reception, and you fully devote yourself and give yourself to God for an extended amount of time. It's so funny as a former youth pastor to be able to be on a bus and head up to the mountain with a bunch of kids who couldn't sit still and laughing and joking and playing and getting in trouble. But the bus ride home was always very different. There was always worship. There was always a change. You could see that God had touched the kids. It was amazing. So I, as a youth myself, was able to partake in that, that camp and it was a wonderful camp, wonderful band, wonderful speakers. But one night, it got a little strange. It got a little scary. And what had happened is that a friend of mine from high school was laid out on the ground. And she began with just simple moaning as the worship was going on. And it went to kind of flailing and then eventually to some screaming and then eventually to saying, stop, stop, leave me alone. So you can imagine a room full of 14, 16-year-old kids. They're wondering what is going on. And it's, you know, totally distracting. Uh, a lot of youth leaders came around, and some were just praying for her. Some were telling her to hush. Some were trying to cast out demons, you know, just trying to figure out what's going on. Eventually, they just picked my friend up and take her outside. It's like 19 degrees out there. <laughs> they eventually took her to her room to help calm her down. And so when my youth pastor came back into the room after service, all of us kids were sitting there like, what happened to her? And he's like, it's okay, it's okay, don't be afraid. She's not possessed or any of that kind of thing. This was her first encounter with the love of God, and she was just a little bit overwhelmed. Can you imagine that experiencing the love of the Father for the very first time in a tangible way, because God's love is substance, God's love is powerful, God's love is the very life source of what each and every one of us need to be fully alive in this world, and you experience that for the first time. My friend came from a very bad background of gangs and drugs and a horrible family situation. The, the name of God was never declared in her home. And to be able to come to this place, somebody paid for her ticket. She randomly went. I don't even know if she was saved at this point, but she had an encounter with the raw love of God. And it was amazing to see that this is, this is a calling to what we should be doing each and every day of our lives. How can I be overwhelmed and undone by you and your love, God? And love. Love is one of those words that has a million definitions, but it also has a million misinterpretations. 
It's misunderstood at multiple times. And when you become a Christian, you now hear about this good father, this heavenly father. But for many of us, maybe our upbringing with our fathers, our earthly fathers, wasn't that nice. Maybe he wasn't there. Maybe he was there, but pretty absent, maybe abusive, maybe quiet, maybe distant. And we take what we experience with our earthly fathers, and many of us, we project that onto our heavenly father. And there's many unbelievers who they come to church and they think that God is going to be this angry father, upset, disappointed, much like we saw Judah acting out here on this stage, that he doesn't like them, that he's upset, disappointed, just completely angry with them. And that's not the case whatsoever. And many of us have been convinced that God is good. Many of us have experienced his love. But for some of us, we still need to go through a process of renewing our mind to get the complete and proper perspective that he's a good God. Because we go through life, bottom line. We can read in the scriptures that God is love is everlasting, that he's a good father, that he loves us dearly, that while we were yet sinners, he sent his son. But then we pray for healing and we don't get healed. Or maybe you look on the news like the other night in Austin where somebody opened fire on innocent people and you think, God, why didn't you stop it? And there's these doubts that the enemy places in our minds that make us think, well, is he good? Why would he allow this? And we begin to wrestle with these things. But what we need to understand is that we're on this side of eternity. And on this side of eternity, we're in a fallen world. And in a fallen world, there is free will. And we're free to do what we want with our free will. And sometimes that's a person who in their own free will decides to take something and go harm somebody with it. Now, that doesn't mean that God is the author of that evil. It means that somebody took their own free will to go in and do something bad. Some of us may think, well, why didn't God stop it? Well, he does. And I can guarantee that many of us have gone through our lives, and he has probably stopped so many bad things in our lives. He's probably saved our lives so many times. And when we get to heaven, we'll probably see that DVD of every place where God intervened and helped us. But there are times where we wonder, why didn't you step in God? Well, God is sovereign. But he doesn't always act sovereign because he has given authority and dominion and power to his children. Yes, we're in a fallen world, but we're in a fallen world with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We're in a fallen world where we have been empowered to be the ambassadors of God, his mouthpiece, to be an extension of his hand. So that when we see people who are, are out to do calamity and evil, we can intervene and speak the truth, speak in love and help rescue if the church would fully rise up and do what she was called to do, we would see a much different world than today. But God being God tends to get all the blame all the time. But we cannot allow a lack of solutions or unanswered prayers to dictate and determine our perspective of God. Only the word of God can declare who he truly is. And many people are, are, are good intentions and, and they think, okay, well, God is good. He is loving all these things. I know that there's bad things in this world, but you know what? For the believer, uh, sometimes he does allow us to get sick and sometimes he does allow us to suffer because it's for his glory. It's all for his glory. Well, God will use any evil, any evil, and he will turn that around for good, but he is not the author of evil. And I personally don't believe that God allows sickness and he doesn't allow suffering. He will use it, but I don't believe he wants to do that on purpose to one of his children to teach them character. You ever see Jesus say, okay, uh, Father, let's get this storm and send it over to here and it's going to teach him patience. You know, we just don't see that example. We see that every person who came to Jesus in the gospel was healed. He turned nobody away. He is a God of compassion, even to somebody filled with 2,000 demons 
Jesus would still reach his hand out. To one of the most evil people on earth, he would reach his hand out and with compassion. Now, we may be thinking of examples in the Bible where we see suffering on God's children like Job. That's always the question, right? Job, what about Job? What about Job? Well, first thing we need to understand with Job is that he was in an inferior covenant. Even before the law was given, Job lived in that dispensation. We are now under a covenant of grace, but back then it was about works. Your sin could get you in a whole lot of trouble. But even more so, I remember studying Job one, one year and I got to chapter three, verse 25, and it was, it was painfully obvious. But Job said, after his family was killed, after his property was destroyed, after he was covered in boils and sick beyond reason, he said, the thing that I feared has come upon me. Now think about this. If you're in an inferior covenant before the law where works matter and it's not about grace and you fear, that is such an open door for the influence and the attack of the enemy. I'm not saying that you're the reason why the enemy's attacking you or you're, if you do something wrong, then he's going to get you. That's not what I'm declaring. But in this covenant, that's what it was like. You're like, okay, Pastor Rudy, well, what about in the new covenant? Because there's another example. Paul with the thorn in the flesh, right? That's the new covenant. He was an apostle. He had the power of God. But he begged God three times, take this thorn in the flesh away from me. And three times God denied him. And that's in 2 Corinthians chapter 12. And there's a lot of people who speculate what that thorn in the flesh was. Because the Bible doesn't really say. Because some people think it was a sexual sin and addiction. Some people think it was a sickness. A lot of preachers think it was malaria for some reason. That in that region and where he was a missionary, that he contracted some disease from an island. Well, my personal opinion, because I like to interpret Bible with Bible. Not just opinion, but Bible with Bible. And so I say, okay, that's a thorn in the flesh. Where else is there a thorn in the flesh? many places, but in Numbers, it says that you need to destroy the inhabitants of the promised land, otherwise it will become a thorn in your flesh, a thorn in your side. So I personally think it was people. And we know that Paul, as he was walking, a fortune teller was, you know, saying all these bad things about him. He got so annoyed at a person that he rebuked the spirit and got in trouble and thrown in jail. So it could have been potentially people, but regardless of who it was, we, or what it was, we see that Paul was begging God, please take this from me. And God says, my grace is what? Sufficient. Three times. My grace is sufficient. So the interpretation sometimes is, well, Paul being a good guy, begged God to take something from him. And God said, no, be content. You know, you're an apostle. You're going to go through some stuff. You know, stop bothering me. But when I dive into this and study and pray over it, and I look into the Greek, do you know what the definition for sufficient is in this scripture in the Greek? It is defined as to be possessed with unfailing strength. Unfailing strength. So when I interpret it with that lens, I see that Paul is begging God, take this away from me, take this away from me. God is saying, my grace which is everything Jesus accomplished on a cross, salvation, healing, forgiveness, prosperity, deliverance, and joy. My grace is everything you need in your authority to tackle this problem. Basically, Paul was begging God to do something that God had already done. And sometimes we feel like our prayers hit the ceiling because we're begging God to do something that he's already done. Or maybe we're not operating in our authority. It's a reason why the scriptures say, heal the sick, not pray for the sick. Not beg for healing. It says heal him. Cast out a demon. Not pray for the demons to be gone. But there's things that only God can do, like lead somebody to salvation or in his sovereignty, move and act as he pleases. And so that's why as a believer, we pray for the things that only God can do, but we take authority on the things he's given us dominion over. 
We are without excuse, and we have a loving God of all compassion who has equipped us and wants to continue to bless us with everything we need to be fully alive in Him. And it's critical for us to have this perspective. I remember uh, I was officiating a funeral one time, and the funeral was mainly Hispanic people, and I say that for a reason, because in our Hispanic culture, sometimes we like to use fear a lot to try to get our kids to behave. I don't know if that's cross-cultural or what, but for them Mexicans, let me tell you what, you could be at a park having a barbecue and your little kid keeps trying to just run off and do something and you're like, get over here, get over here, get over Finally, you'll hear that Mexican mama say, if you go over there, there's going to be hot chili and it's going to get you and you're going to burn. And they use fear. Well, I was at this funeral and we're in the lobby waiting for the chapel doors to open so we can begin the service and this little boy is just bouncing off of the chairs and screaming, doing a lot of stuff he shouldn't be doing at a funeral. And his mom looks at the kid and says, if you don't behave, that man pointing to me, that man's going to take you. I'm like, oh, great. Now this little boy is going to grow up thinking that pastors are kidnappers. I'm like, are you? So this boy's going to sit in the back like, oh, my gosh, that person is in a coffin, and that's the guy who could take me. This is not adding up and not looking good. You know? And painting the wrong perspective of what a pastor should look like. Well, many movies, many preachers, Many Christians, you know, with good intentions, have painted the wrong perspective of who God is. Do we honestly believe that God would bless us with cancer? And think about it this way. If God was the one who gave you cancer, how dare you try to pray it away? How dare you walk in disobedience? If that was God's will for your life, you just need to accept it. But I just, I read this Bible and I don't see it that way. I see a good God, a loving God, and I see his people that need to rise up and take their place. So I want to read a story. If you have your Bibles with me, go to Luke chapter 15. Luke chapter 15, it's a story of being lost and found, and there's multiple examples that Jesus gives in these parables. And the story of the prodigal son is not just a story about the prodigal son. This is a story about a father, a son, and a brother who needed a whole lot of witnessing. And I'm going to be preaching in the next couple of months on several of them. Today, I want to focus on the father specifically and to see this father of love and compassion and what we can gain and learn from this. So Luke chapter 15, we're going to read verses 11 through 24. So says, then he said, a man with two sons, the younger of them said to his father, father, give me the share of the estate that falls to me. So he divided his wealth between them. So at this time, you didn't have to wait for your parents to pass on to get your inheritance. You could ask for it now. And so that's basically telling your mom and your dad, you're basically as good as dead to me, so I want what's due to me now. I want to go do what I want to do, and I want it from you. In verse 13, and not many days later, the younger son gathered everything together and went on a journey in a distant country, and there he squandered his estate with loose living. Even though you could have a loving father everything you need in God, complete in Jesus Christ, there's still something in our flesh nature that says, if you just search and go somewhere else, you may find something more or something that you're looking for. Everything we need and, and desire is found in God. Verse 14, now when he had spent everything, a severe famine occurred in the country and he began to be impoverished. So he went and hired himself out to one of the citizens of the country and he sent him into the fields to feed swine, which as a Jewish boy and swine is not kosher. And he would have gladly filled his stomach with the pods of swine worth eating, and no one was giving anything to him. And he came to his senses. There's a parent in this room who has a child that needs to come to their senses, and we declare that would happen in Jesus' name. He came 
to his senses. And he said, how many of my father's hired men have more than enough bread? And I am dying here with hunger. I will get up and go to my father and say to him, father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired men. And so many Christians say, God, I've messed up so bad. I'm not worthy to be called your son, your daughter. I've messed up so bad, I know you can't bless me anymore. I, I've done the worst possible thing, and now I know there's no hope for me. And that's definitely not the case. Verse 21, and his son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. Oh, I'm sorry. Let me backtrack to 20 because that's kind of important. So he got up and came to his father. So in the name of Jesus, if your child right now needs to come to their senses, we're also declaring in the name of Jesus that they would come to the father and then come home. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him, felt compassion for him, ran and embraced him and kissed him. Why that's so important is that if you were a Jewish man wearing a robe, if you ever exposed your legs, you were considered to be shameful. Now, this father, in order to run, had to gird his loins and pull up his robe in order to run. So with all abandon, and no matter how shameful he may have felt, he ran because of the deep love that he had for his son. Verse 21, the son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and in your sight. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his slaves, quickly bring out the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and sandals on his feet and bring the fatted calf. Ooh, it is getting to lunchtime. Let me tell you, the fatted calf, kill it, barbecue it. Let us eat and celebrate for the son of mine was dead and has come to life again. He was lost and has been found. So they began to celebrate. So the son comes to his senses. He runs to the Father. And I declare that every one of us would do the same, that regardless of what mistake we made, we would come to our senses and go to a Father whose arms are always wide open for us. But then we get to the Father and we feel shame. But Romans 8 tells us there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And we see that there's a God of love. This Father put a ring on his finger, which was authority, a robe over him, which was dominion, and sandals on his feet. Only sons wore sandals. The hired servants were barefoot. So what the father did is he completely turned that man's perspective around and said, you are a dearly beloved child of mine and clothed him in royalty, clothed him with power and authority. And God does the same thing to us every single day because of the sacrifice of Jesus. So we need to learn how to make God's love the pinnacle, how to make God's love life source and the fuel that we need. And so there's a few things in your notes, if you're taking notes. Point number one, in order to fully walk into the love of God, it's when you can rest that you can receive. It's when you rest that you can receive. A few years ago, I went on a missions trip to Nicaragua, and I remember we left San Diego Airport at 8 p.m. We flew all the way to Miami, and we had a five-hour layover, hopped on another plane at 6 a.m., and flew to Managua, Nicaragua, I think it was, and then we fought with customs because we had worship CDs and Bibles. And they say, no, 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 no. You don't sell stuff in our country. You only buy stuff in our country. And we fought for them with hours and customs until eventually we just slid them a couple Benjamins and we're finally able to get on our way. And then by the time we were on the bus ride and got to our hotel, it was 8 p.m. Now, I can't sleep on an airplane. Some of you have the supernatural gift of sleep, and that's amazing. I cannot sleep on an airplane. So I went 24 hours fully traveling, fully awake, and I was tired. And I am so sensitive. I'm such a baby, y'all. If I don't get enough sleep, talk to my family. If I don't get enough sleep, I am a 
baby. I'm working on it. I'm seeking revelation. I don't know what to deal with. And even last night, my neighbors behind our backyard, they must have had a graduation party or something. So they had the subwoofers going, the lights going, the, you, know, you know, playing whatever back in the, in the backyard. I got up like five times. You know, I was really tempted, really tempted this morning to go knock at the door at 7 a.m., hey, I'm your new neighbor. Uh, do you have a moment to talk about your Lord and Savior Jesus Christ? You know, but I didn't. I was a good boy. <laughs> and God's anointing and, and his, uh, his love and compassion for me has given me energy today. But I'm so sensitive to sleep. And so when I went 24 hours, oh my gosh, I'm like, what am I doing here? I don't even want to be on this mission trip. I just want to be home. But then I was able to get the Wi-Fi code. And I was on my iPad and I got to FaceTime my family and got caught up, felt a little better. I went to sleep and had the best night of sleep I've ever had in my life. And let me tell you, when I woke up, I was ready to go. And that's just a physical thing. Just physical rest for me does so much, but we need to understand that there is such power in resting in God's presence. It's so difficult to receive from God when your soul is in unrest. You know, Psalm 46.10 is a great, great verse that talks about being still, and knowing that he is God. But in my beautiful New American Standard, ain't this right, Pastor Wally? What does it say? Cease, cease striving. Cease striving and know that I am God. Not just be still, but it says stop striving and relax and rest. Hebrews 4, uh, I believe it's 4, 9 through 11. I love the way this phrase is. It says, be diligent to enter God's rest. Basically, in other words, it's saying work really, really hard to rest. Makes sense to me? But we have to fight for our rest. We have to fight for our soul. We have to, to fight to be able to remain in a place of peace with God. So how do we find rest? How do we find rest in a world of evil, in a world of chaos and calamity? Well, my first bit of advice is to just be with God by any means necessary. Just be with him. Like a child who had a bad dream, the moment they're in mom and dad's bed, instantly the fear is gone because they're just with them. If you want to grow your desire for God, get as close to God as you can, and you're going to discover that that desire is going to grow naturally. Just be with him by any means necessary. Be with him. And the second thing is that we have to make our lifestyle a lifestyle of rest. You can't go 100 miles an hour, full speed all day, then get into some type of trouble or sin or have some type of doubt and say, God, I need rest. It needs to be a value in your heart. It needs to be something that you're proactively doing in your own lifestyle. You know, I'm 18% Jewish, you know, so uh, Jesus could have been my like great, 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 great cousin or something like that, you know, but in the Jewish culture, the next day doesn't start at midnight. It starts at sundown. So at sunset tonight, it's actually going to be Monday, according to the Jew. So according to the Jewish culture, you actually begin your day asleep. How many of us would love to do that? Huh? Let me get nine. I just need about eight to nine hours of sleep before I can get my day started, you know? And that's typically what they're declaring, that you have a meal with your family. You share and declare God's love. You go to sleep, and the first eight hours of your day is spent asleep. Then you go to work. Then you repeat the process over again. But in our American culture, we have it backwards. What we do is we wake up, deep fry or something, you know, like pop a Pop-Tart inside of a microwave and chug some coffee and we're late, we're running out, we're trying to finish getting dressed. Your ladies are doing your makeup in the car and we're rushing to work. We got to drop the kids off here. We're running late here. Everybody's screaming at everybody because it's everybody's fault and everybody is the reason why we're running late. Then we go to work. We're tired. 
we feel like we've been there for eight hours and it's only been 15 minutes and we get home, we don't know what to cook, we didn't prepare for dinner, we should probably just eat out, but we don't want to spend money. And then finally around 9, 10 o'clock at night, it's like, I didn't even take time for me. So then we stay up till 1 o'clock in the morning on TV or YouTube or on our phones and then we wake up more tired. It's this vicious cycle. We need to make our lifestyle one of discipline and where we are valuing the power of rest because it will go a long, long way. God's love is our life source, bottom line. John chapter 17, verse three, it says, now this is eternal life, not heaven, not paradise. What is eternal life, according to what Jesus prayed there, is knowing him. Intimacy and knowing God is eternal life, being with him for all eternity. So we need to learn how to rest. The second thing is we need to believe that we are beloved. We need to believe that we are beloved. So if God's love is the most powerful thing in the world, if God's love is everything that makes us feel alive, what do you think the devil's going to try to attack first? God's love. It's going to try to distract us from wanting to know more about God. It's going to try to distract us. If he would do it to Jesus, how much more would he do it to you and I? When Jesus was in in the wilderness, as the Spirit led him into the wilderness to fast for 40 days, it says the devil came up to him and said, if you are the Son of God, If you are the son of God, command these stones to become bread. He was trying to to give doubt unto Jesus that you're the son of God. You're the Messiah, Savior of the world. He would do that to Jesus. He's going to do it to us. Now, we know that John 3.16 is a very powerful and critical verse. But Matthew 3.16, in fact, it'd do you really good to do a whole study in your Bible on chapter 3, verse 16. There's some powerful stuff from Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and all around. But in Matthew 3.16, Jesus is being baptized. And as he's being baptized, the heavens open up, the spirit descends on him, and a voice from heaven, from the Father says, this is my son in whom I love, and in him I am well pleased. Jesus was 30 years old getting baptized. He hadn't started his ministry yet. We talked about that the other week when he turned water into wine. That was his first miracle. That was the start of his earthly ministry. So at this point, Jesus had done nothing. He hadn't preached a sermon. He hadn't cast out a demon. He hadn't healed a sick. He hadn't done any of those things. Raised the dead, nothing. What did, what did he do? I think that for three decades on this earth, he was just learning how to receive God's love. He was learning how to be a good son before he launched into the three years that would change all of history. But I love how the, the father declared, I am well pleased with him before he did anything. Family, let me just make this as clear as I can. As children of God, we are never to work for God's love. We are to work from God's love. We go from a place that God loves me, he likes me a whole lot. He's nuts about me. (laughs) He loves me. And it's with that being well-pleased in the Father that we go out and have our being. And we, we, we witness and we express God's love and his power from a place of knowing that we are loved by him. Love is so powerful. It's what allowed Jacob to go 14 years that felt like just a few days for Rachel because of his love. Love is what held Jesus on the cross. And love is what's going to give you the the motivation. It's what's going to give you the power. It's what's going to give you the fuel that you need to be everything that God has called you to be, to go through anything that the devil's going to throw your way. We cannot be without God's great love. And whatever it takes, by any means necessary, to be before the Father, to be before the Father. I mean, if you can't do anything, you can worship. You can hit YouTube on your phone and type in worship and just sit there doing nothing but receiving. And what I've learned is that worship, no matter what you're feeling or going through, leads to intimacy. 
Intimacy leads to rest. Rest leads to trust. And trust, that's where we need to stand on. Whatever you need to do to get truth, pouring over the scriptures, hiding the word of God in your heart, hearing from God, having a friend speak something prophetically over your life, hide the word of God in your heart so that you are completely standing on truth. We need to rest. We need to truly believe that we are beloved and not let the enemy convince us otherwise. And then finally, you are fully alive when you are fully loved. So many of us are looking for a breakthrough. We're looking for a reason to feel more joy and more peace. And let me tell you, it's right under your nose. And that's the love of the Father. Romans 12, 1 to 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Now, because of the flesh, we need to be diligent to remind ourselves and be before the Father at all times, to constantly keep our affections on the Father. There's one pastor that said, I'll, I'll watch TV, I'll go to the movies, I'll read books that are not the Bible, but the moment I feel like my affection has gone from the Father onto whatever I'm watching or doing is the moment I need to stop and redirect my worship to Him. We need to be diligent. God is not going to force His love upon you. He's provided, and we are the ones that need to receive and accept and welcome His love. And I love the scripture, Isaiah 26.3. It says, He keeps in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on him. Are you battling anxiety? Are you going through doubt? Are you fearful today? Are you dealing with discouragement? Let me encourage you. He keeps in perfect peace those whose minds are stayed on him. God's love is not just something we need to receive and do as a good Christian boy and girl. It's vital to who we are. And I'll wind down here with this. I want to close today, not with the song, but more of a declaration for us here today. But let me close with this, this story. True story of an orphanage in South America. There were 97 babies who were orphaned and a small staff to take care of them. Very small staff. The staff was so small, in fact, that they could only feed the babies, change the babies, and make sure that they were healthy. They couldn't pick them up. They couldn't cuddle them. They couldn't talk to them. They basically lay in their cribs all day long, ensuring that they would stay alive. And after one year, almost a third of the babies passed away. Not because of being malnourished, not because of disease, but because of a lack of touch and affection. The next year, four more uh, passed away and some others. And by the end of that orphanage closing down, only 21 of the original 97 survived. I mean, there was times when a nurse would actually need to move a baby, and because of a lack of touch, the baby would cry out in fear when it was touched by another human being. Now, these babies passed away because they had not experienced affection and love on a physical level. Now, you and I have the supernatural love of the Father. You and I have the incredible, incredible blessing of being called a child of God. And His love is such a fundamental element of the Scripture and of being a Christian that it's oftentimes one of the first things we tend to ignore. And it's my plea, my encouragement to us today, rediscover God's love in a new way. Discover God's love in an encounter individually for yourself. Not just reading about it, not just knowing about it, not just being convinced about it, but making it your true life source. And if we could, if you're able, if you could please stand up, I want to declare something and then pray over us as we conclude today. Our skit here today was on Romans 8, really, and about God's great love for us. And we know at the end of Romans 8, it talks about nothing can separate us from the love of God. But I want to show you what God has done in between this great, 
this great verse, starting in verse 26. In the same way, the Spirit also helps in weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that God causes all things to work together for good to those who love God, to those who are called according to his purpose. For those who he foreknew, he also predestined to become conformed to the image of his Son so that he would be the firstborn among many brethren. And those he predestined, he called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, he glorified. What then shall we say? If God is for us, who is against us? He who did not spare his own son, but delivered him over for us all. How will he not also with him freely give us all things? Who will bring a charge against God's elect? God is the one who justifies. Who is the one that condemns? Christ Jesus. He who died, yes, rather who was raised, is at the right hand of God and also intercedes for us. Romans 8 is sandwiched between the Holy Spirit being your intercessor and Jesus, the Son of God, being your intercessor. You are completely surrounded by God. Corey Ten Boom once said that as the scriptures declared that God longs to cover us in the shelter and the shadow of his wing. So sometimes when it's so dark, it's because he is so near. And we need to realize that we are completely surrounded in intercession. God loves us with the intensity that God loves God. So Father, in the name of Jesus, I thank you for my friends here. And though this is not much of a funny and uplifting message, it's, it's a message to being restored back to our true priority, love. And God, as we stand here, not only in faith, but we stand here in recognition and honor of this great father who sent his son to take our place, we are asking, Lord, that you would help us to once again not only be reminded, but to re-encounter you in a new way. Help us, God, as we go about this week, that it wouldn't just be business as usual, not just work, not just school, not just errands and busyness and, and things and chores that we need to do, but help us truly, God, from the moment we are up to the moment we go to sleep, and even as the Spirit intercedes for us as we sleep, that our minds would stay completely on you. In the name of Jesus, now I declare over my friends here, those who are watching, Father, that all distraction would be gone that a new agenda would be upon your face. Father, that you would remove every obstacle, every stumbling block, every bit of wrong thinking. In the name of Jesus, we cleanse every mind and every heart in this room, that there would be nothing that would separate us from wanting an encounter with you and wanting more for you. May you heal them. May you bless them. May you fill them up to joy overflowing in the Holy Spirit. We thank you for today. From the moment we began singing till now in this prayer, we love you, Lord. Thank you for meeting us here in this place. Go before us now as we begin a new week. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Amen. Well, we love you. God bless you, and have a wonderful week, family.